Welcome to Beyond the Bio, a podcast that dives deep into our exceptional leaders at Bain and spotlights the incredible work they're doing. You can look up their bios online, but that only scratches the surface of who they are. On this podcast, we share the stories of why our leaders are truly extraordinary. Joining me today is Easton Dixon, Executive Vice President, Global Treasurer, and America's Black at Bain co-chair. Easton joins us today as we celebrate Black History Month, and we will share his journey at Bain, a look into his role as our Global Treasurer, and how he's leading America's Black at Bain as our co-chair, and what affinity groups like this are doing and why they're so important inside Bain's community. Easton, thanks for joining today. Thank you for having me. I want you to know that the podcast is a favorite of mine. I listen to quite a few episodes. Enjoy you as a host and all our amazing guests that come on. And now I've accomplished one of my bucket list items in that I'm on the podcast myself. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank the, you. The true test will be whether or not you listen to your own voice, which I find very difficult to do. But thank you for joining. And Easton, I want to get into what we always do when we start these things and just talk about your early years. Can you share with people sort of where you grew up and what you were trying to do with your life as you were coming up and thinking about your future? Sure. So, you know, after I've spoken for a while, people will usually ask me, where are you from? Are you from the islands? And yes, I grew up in Jamaica. I lived half of my life in Jamaica before moving to the United States. So my formative years were in Jamaica, in that school system, in that culture. So that's where I got my education, my family. Most of my family members are still in Jamaica. And even though I've embraced life in America at many levels, the Jamaican life is still an important part of my heritage. And I go back from time to time. So it is still very important to me. Right now, I've been to Jamaica a couple of times and my wife is Jamaican. And I know education can be an important part of a lot of families there. Were you a particularly driven individual from an education standpoint? And how did you think about what you were going to do with university and beyond? Yes, for me, education was extremely important. And coming from a poor farming community, we didn't see a lot of folks going off to college because unlike the U.S., in Jamaica at the time, we had about just two universities. So it wasn't as common and as natural as it is here to say you're going to college. You have to make an effort. And first of all, we had to pass exams to go to high school to begin with. And then from high school, most kids didn't make it to college. But early on, I had a grandfather and a couple of aunts who were very much into education. They would read a lot. They were teachers. They were nurses. And so observing them and getting advice and a push from them, I was pushed into education at a very early age. And I was decent at sports. I wasn't a handsome guy. I felt that. And then I became good at education. So that was my thing. I could say I'm smart. That's how I would relate to girls and, you know, compete with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask, you ended up staying in the West Indies for college. Where did you go and how did you decide what to major in? Sounds like you weren't majoring in sports or agriculture. No. So coming from an agriculture community, I was drawn to that. But thankfully, one of my teachers, when I told her I wanted to do agriculture, you know, when I was in high school, she said, go do a degree in management and finance, and then you can run your own farm quite well. And that was one of the best pieces of, pieces of advice I got because I did management studies at college with a focus on finance, and I loved it, and it has turned out to be quite helpful for me in my career. So to some extent, I was 
coached into finance and I fell in love with it up to this day. It's very important to me. And it wasn't an easy path because there wasn't career counseling or um, college counseling or anything like that in my school. And so even getting to college, I was playing soccer one day and a friend said to me, have you applied yet for college? And I said, nope. And he said, the deadline is within three days. <laughs> so he got a he got his brother to, to FedEx me the application package. It wasn't online. It was hard copy. And I was able to fill that out, apply and got in. So I was thankful for other people who were thinking about me and helping me to get to college. Yeah. So and the college experience coming from the country, going to Kingston, it was life changing. It was a very different experience. Thankfully, I did well enough to get a scholarship and to graduate with an honors degree. Looking back, I got a second class honors. Looking back, I said, if I had just converted two more B pluses to A minuses, I could have gotten a first class. So, but overall, it worked out quite well for me. I'm happy for that. The uh, hearing you describe that means you were probably destined to work at Bain. It's 99 out of 100 times things are right, but we always think about the one thing that didn't go right because we want a perfect score. So that it sounds yeah. like it sounds like you had Bain in your DNA from jump. Let me ask, you ended up graduating from school and did you go right to work? Did you choose to stay home? Did you move away? How did you how did you think about your career when you finished college? So after college, so again, coming from a very rural community, I didn't want to go back. I wanted to be part of the more dynamic mix within the city, which was Kingston. And so I was in Kingston, just wrapping up college and just ran into a friend of mine who had graduated a year before. And we, we started talking and he, he asked me about my plans. I didn't have any great plans for life after college. And he recommended, give me your resume. I'll check out my my workplace and he did that i was called in for an interview that went very well and it was procter and gamble and that of course that name resonates here because it's one of the world's leading consumer products companies and getting into that company at the time it didn't resonate with me how significant that was in terms of being in jamaica working with a company that had a clear American DNA and how we go about making decisions. You're familiar with our answer first, how we make, uh, how we take our hypotheses and support them, make that statement upfront. What is it that you want? What do you want to accomplish? And then support it. PNG had the same approach of what is it you want to accomplish and how you support that. And so from that early stage, it was so helpful. I, I didn't realize I would be using it much later in my career at places like BCG and Bain and in between as well. So it was quite an eventful meeting with my friend to get me into that company. Yeah. Now, Easton, I, one of the things I just am picking up along the journey is that you were the benefit of a lot of really timely advice. I like to think about those angels in my life that seemingly had no other reason to be there except to tell me or guide me in the direction I needed to go. It feels like that was a part of your journey up to this point. Yes, those timely interventions. Now, to be clear, from I was in elementary school, I was always thinking of if I'm in elementary school, I want to make it to high school. When I got to high school, I wanted to make it to the advanced level at high school. And once I got there, I know I wanted to go to college. So I was always thinking about what else do I want. But as you can see, 
I wasn't always in touch with what exactly do I need to do to get there. So I'm forever grateful to the people who gave those timely nudges to say, here, here's what you need to do. Or were you thinking about that to make it happen? So it's a combination. And we're all, yeah, we all benefit from that of timely intervention from the people that care about us. So Easton, we talked about your journey to date and you ended up leaving Procter & Gamble to go back to business school. And how did you decide to do that? And I know from reading your background, you came to the U.S. for school. How did you make that decision and what were you trying to get out of the transition point in your career? So after P&G, I moved to the U.S. because my wife had migrated earlier, so it was natural to follow her. And then once I got here... The you know coming from Jamaica, my degree was well regarded. We're on the British system. It's a great program. Jamaican kids routinely make make it to the best schools in America. But for me, I wanted the advanced learning to begin with. I wanted that second degree to sharpen my academic profile. But also the reality that I was new to this environment. I'd worked at PNG, but I wanted to give myself every opportunity to advance. So I wanted an American degree on my resume for the learning itself, as well as to legitimize myself as much as possible. I wanted that degree. Right. Now, after you earned your MBA, you stayed in the U.S. for work. Can you just talk a little bit about the types of roles that you took and where you were heading? Yes. So when I came to the U.S., my first objective was to be productive. My wife was here. She was in school. She was working. We weren't making a lot of money. So to me, I needed to work. And so my first job wasn't ideal in a sense of this is where I absolutely wanted to work, but it was a not-for-profit that was doing great work. So I, I liked that aspect of it. And I was contributing to the wholesale income. But I knew I wanted to go back into corporate life. And that happened later when I moved over to what was then Bank Boston. And so getting back into corporate, working in an aspect of investment banking. And that was my first entry into what would be considered as a treasury space. So that was exciting for me. It was highly challenging as well. And during that role, there were transitions in the entity. So Bank Boston was acquired by Fleet Bank. Fleet was later acquired by Bank of America. And so the inflection point came for me when I had to make a decision to either go into commercial banking or find an opportunity elsewhere. I was wrapping up my MBA at the time. And so it was a good point to make a decision as to do I stay in banking or do I look elsewhere? And fortunately, BCG had an opening. It was a temporary position. But even though I'd never worked in premium consulting, I was intrigued by it to say, what is that all about? And getting into it was a great transition point for me in terms of what I ended up doing, as well as getting into that type of industry that I I fell in love with it. And obviously, it's a part of my life now. I really enjoyed being in that space. Now, I know that you went to that firm in a role in the Treasury Group. And we're going to talk a little bit about what you do here at Bain. But maybe for those listening who aren't familiar with Treasury, which I was not all the way through business school, I think I was well beyond business school before I was like, okay, what does a treasurer do again? Can you just maybe quickly explain what's in scope for a treasurer? Because I think a lot of people on campus think of the treasurer as 
the finance person for their student club or organization, basically everything money. And that's not entirely what it is when you're when you're out in corporate. So treasury is an important part of corporate finance. And I see it as treasury is responsible for cash, acquiring cash, safeguarding it and deploying it within the firm. So acquiring is either through capital markets or how we collect funds from our clients. Deploying it, we're a global company. How do we move money through the system to pay our bills, to move money from office to office? What are the platforms we use? What pipelines we use to move money through the system? Safeguarding it, making sure that is where we want it to be, and also managing fraud, right? And then there is the risk management side of our business where we're looking at insurance risk. You know, how do we safeguard the company and protect our assets? So we use insurance as a key part of our risk management role. And then derivatives play a part in that as well, as we have exposure to interest rates and the currencies we use derivatives for our hedging program. So in summary, it's about cash and it's about financial risk management. Awesome. Now, as you're going through that, and making the career transition. I think you were also finishing up the other degree that you mentioned a second ago. Can you talk a little bit about that? And there's all kinds of jokes I feel like I should make having a West Indian family myself. What was the degree in and what were you trying to do when you pursued that degree? Yes, it's a fun story. And you can joke along, right? It's, it's a really fun one. So I'm in treasury, international treasury. So we are moving money from country to country. We're looking at regulations. We're looking at accounting rules and tax rules. And so as we move money, my focus may be on liquidity planning. How do we meet our bills in a particular country? And there's a tax group that is concerned with tax optimization. How do we effectively meet our obligations in as tax efficient a manner as possible? And so we are interacting. We're talking to each other. And at some point, the conversation becomes um, gibberish to me because I don't speak tax language. And so for me, I wanted to expand my fluency around tax matters and be more conversant with my tax colleagues so that the conversation can be more fruitful. And it was also a way for me to challenge myself because I didn't have a tax background. So going to do a master's in taxation was how am I going to accomplish this from you know just a pure intellectual level? So at a personal level, it was a great challenge. I got the degree. And the thing about taxes, if you don't practice it, you're not going to be a tax expert. But at least I can relate more to what my tax colleagues are trying to accomplish. So it helped in that regard that I can appreciate their work more and have more ears where I can relate more easily to what they're trying to accomplish. I think the best part of that is that most people would say, you know, I'm not really familiar with tax. Let me go read an article or something online. And you were like, I think I'll go get another master's degree. <laughs> yes, you know, what, what am I doing with my time, right? But it, it was a good challenge to say, I need to push myself in something and something that can be beneficial as well. Yeah. Now, after you finish the degree, you do leave that consulting firm and go to a corporate. Why did you decide to leave? What was the motivation behind that? Because it seems like you were probably on your way to big things where you were. Yes. Yeah, so I really love the firm, the work they were doing in terms of what it meant for clients, they, that quality, that focus on client delivery, right? That was fine. But for me, 
I was looking at the, my trajectory, how fast was I moving, and being realistic as well, because the firm has its objectives. We know that in order to be promoted, there has to be a business deal. But I'm looking at it from my perspective, looking at it from the firm's perspective and thinking, okay, the pace that the firm is on was not the same as mine. And as we will mention later, my wife was also looking out for me and being that a more objective viewpoint to say, what are your abilities? What should you be doing now at this stage of your career? And saying, you should go somewhere else that would give you more acceleration. You know, it was with mixed feelings that I left BCG to go to a smaller company, but also a company that was in a premium space. It was doing products that were high performance products. So I could relate to that in terms of the quality products that it was delivering for its clients as well. And it broadened my scope in that I was now doing more at a higher level. And so that career acceleration I wanted, I was getting that mm -hmm. and being challenged more as well. So the acceleration as well as getting challenged and knowing that what I was doing was making a difference to that company. All of that made sense for me. Now, lucky for us, as much as you had upside there and did great things there, you ultimately joined Bain in 2014 as our global treasurer. You obviously had exposure to premium consulting before that, but how did the Bain opportunity come about? I was aware of Bain, right? Because you you know, working within the space, you have to be aware of the group and that it's not many of us. And even though we're competitors, there is admiration, at a minimum, grudging admiration. Right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so there are people who had left BCG, went to work at Bain, and one of them was one of my direct reports at BCG. And she was just sharing great things. And so that spurred my interest that when I saw, so when I was at this other company at Rogers, I had reached a point where we were going through significant leadership changes. And some of that was beneficial to me because I was promoted to acting treasurer at that point, but the changes were still working their way through the system. And I wanted to take control of my career as much as possible. So I said, let me look to see what's available and being popped up and having that positive input from someone I knew and trusted, it spurred me to go research some more and learning more about being. So knowing about the industry, having some insight to being really encouraged me to go, you know, check it out. And I had another offer that was at the time a richer package, but Given that it was being, given what I was going to do, it was easy for me to make that decision. And it was important that my wife agreed as well. She's the she's a budget specialist for the family, and she was fine with it. So, <laughs> so it worked out well for both of us. And lucky for us, your wife agreed that you should come to Bain. Just quickly, what are some of the top priorities and things that you're working on in your treasury role at Bain right now? So right now... For me, it's important that we are aligned with the strategy of the firm. So if you think about our ME objectives, making sure that we are supporting that. So that's a key piece for me. How do we finance ME? How do we do our due diligence and then support these entities that come on board? Another one is supporting the wider finance team as we manage through downturns. We have had a few of those. We have an enviable playbook, as you know, 
And so utilizing that to ensure that we maintain our assets and we can accelerate on the upside. Being a part of that discussion with our CFO, with the finance committee is very important to me. Upgrading our technology, making sure that the systems we use are first class working on that as well. And then keeping on developing the team we have. It's a small team. We do a lot, making sure that we are trained up and coached up as much as possible to support what Dane is doing. That's really awesome to hear. And it's a big scope. And what's really neat that people who are longtime listeners will notice is that the team and the team development is right in the conversation with the business objectives of the function, which I think says a lot about who we are as a firm. Yeah, it's so crucial. I want folks to, my team members, to enjoy what they are doing and to see how important it is for the firm. Enabling them gives me a great amount of pleasure. So Easton, you recently became America's Black at Bain co-chair with Brittany Matthews, who's also been on the podcast in the past. Can you talk a little bit about what excites you about that role? This is the first time we've had co-chairs because the community is so large inside Bain. What drew you to the role and got you excited to, to take on such an important position in the firm? I should start this block by saying I am humbled and nervous as well in this role. And humbled in the sense that when we think about people like yourself who were founding members of BAB, who contributed so much to having this in place. I am grateful to you and people like Adrian, who you have had on the podcast as well, and everyone else who contributed in, in significant ways. And then our immediate past chairperson, Maria Guardian, who did such a wonderful job. So following in those footsteps, it's a daunting task. But it's exciting as well because I've seen how the community has grown, has benefited. And so having the ability to continue that path of continuing our focus on belonging, support, and trust, that is exciting for me to be a part of that, to lead that in some way. And also, importantly, to help our colleagues be part of the wider Bain ecosystem as much as possible to make sure that when we talk about being the best place to work. It's not about having BAB that is just keeping us in an isolationist path within our group, but really to make sure that we are functioning well within the entire Bain system. So that's my goal. Right. Now, how has it personally benefited you? I know we met a long time ago when you joined, and I remember thinking, wow, they, they hired a vice president from Jamaica <laughs> uh, into, into the finance group. And I know our current CFO, I knew our previous CFO quite well because they were both here in Chicago. But how has Black at Bain played a role in your personal experience getting connected and, and getting to know more people across the system? It's certainly a positive for me. Now, Bain was the first U.S. organization I worked in where we have an affinity group, right? So I've navigated life in America without a group for quite a while and been successful. But being here, knowing that my primary focus is to be the best treasurer I can be, having the support of the CFO, as you mentioned at the time, and my colleagues in finance, that's extremely important. But having this extra support is tangible value because the support of a safe space, we can talk about things that are quite relevant to us as a group, see leaders like yourself I can talk to, learn from your experience, 
and to also help others who may be earlier in their overall career. It's it's a great space to be in to both benefit from it and also to help others who are within the system or just getting into it. So absolutely a positive for me. And one of the things that stood out to me under your leadership with Brittany is a real focus on making sure that it's the entire community inside Bain. And so it's not just consulting staff or senior leadership, but includes the business function staff, the expert staff, and other administrative roles in Bain. Because at some level, we do different things inside Bain, but our lived experiences in society are also very similar. And so I feel like we've made a pretty hard pivot in recent years to be a lot more inclusive of the whole community, which creates a really rich experience for me as somebody who's been at Bain for a long time. I can see the difference and it feels awesome. Yes. And so I understand our focus on the consulting side because that is the bulk of our business. That is where we have most client-facing roles for the most part. So it's important that we emphasize that space. But yes, we are certainly looking at the entire community, whether your business function, GC, you know, general consulting, or you're an expert client delivery space, right? We are seeing we are having different groupings within Bain, and we're all part of the mix. And so for me, it is important that I champion that inclusivity within the community. And importantly, it is also what our leadership wants, right? So we look at from Manny, our worldwide managing partner, down to the DEI function itself. There is that focus that we need to be looking at all of our community members. So I'm not fighting a battle by myself, but it is what we all align around and it's working well. I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. What's interesting to me too, is that most people at Bain are part of several overlapping communities. And so we're talking about one today for Black History Month, but the truth is a lot of us are parts of multiple communities, whether it's our home office or our practice area or some other interest or hobby that we've now formed an organization around inside Bain. And so as you talk about you know, the priorities and the connectivity people are feeling in Black at Bain, they feel that way with each of the other seven diversity and affinity groups that we have, in addition to all of the other communities that they're a part of inside Bain, which creates a really neat space for you to be sort of your complete self because all aspects of you are part of one community in some way, shape, or form. Easton, one thing I wanted to ask you about, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, was this notion of belonging, support, and trust. Can you unpack the three of those? Maria was actually guest number one on the podcast several years ago, and she talked about it, and I think we've committed to those three pillars even more. And maybe you can just elaborate on what we mean when we say belonging, support, and trust at Bain. Yes. So, you know, when we think about belonging, we're doing a great job in our recruitment efforts and you are front and center in that, of course. But folks can come into a firm and you're there, but do you feel like you're part of it? And so that is what belonging is about. Yes, about you are here, but do you feel as if you're part of the mix? And so we're going to do things to ensure that you feel that sense of belonging. You know, how do we onboard you? What's a welcome like? And what are the things we do so that you do not feel isolated or feel like the other, but that you feel a part of the of the mix? Right. And then around support, right? We get in here and we want folks to remain. 
And support will help in that regard in that. How do we support your PD aspirations? What networks, what mentors, what sponsors do we put around you? What programs do we put in place to ensure you are getting the coaching, the training you need so that you know that you're valued part and you can grow within the, the organization? And then from those, we can develop trust where you feel like you're being treated in an equitable manner and the organization cares about you. If we all can benefit from these pieces, that is how you develop producing a productive and well-balanced employee, right? You don't want somebody who's working, but they can't deliver their best because they do not feel the sense of belonging. They don't feel as if they're supported and ultimately they can trust the organization. So we're doing this for the individual and also for the firm. So it's a it's a virtuous cycle if we can get it to work as well as we want it to work. That's right. Now, as you look forward in the next couple of years, what are you looking forward to with Black at Bain? So when you think about, for me, one of the keys is for us to continue our commitment as a firm to our DEI efforts. So whether it's for BAB or our other affinity groups, companies might have spiked their DEI efforts at certain points. Is there sustainability in that? Do they keep the financing behind it? Do they put it in, keep the infrastructure? Bain is committed to it. It's a question I asked our, our chief um, diversity officer, Julie. I said, Julie, what's our commitment? And you said, Easton, of course we're committed. And I believe her. I believe our leadership. That's important to me. Secondly, as you alluded to, the business function consulting dynamic, ensuring that we continue to work on that, that it's as effective as possible that BAB is for everybody. And then just seeing all our members thrive. So we want to see folks progressing through the system as much as possible and to continue feeling that sense of connectivity and PD support that we want to give. So I would say those are the areas that are of most importance to me right now. That's really awesome to hear. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And you mentioned Julie, our chief diversity officer, who has also been a guest on the podcast. Yes, and, yes. And as I shared then, I'll share again, was my very first manager at Bain and has been a tremendous support for me and mentor for me throughout my entire journey. So for people who are interested, Julie is not somebody who just took on the title and woke up interested in DEI. Julie has been sort of crusading behind the scenes for many, many years uh, preceding the title. Yes. And for me, when I think of Julie, I think of expertise, empathy, and passion. Mm -hmm. And Julie's here for our internal DEI efforts, and she's also highly valuable to our clients, as you know. So she's doing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So Easton, as we start to wrap up, I just have one final question or reflection that I'd like to get from you. You mentioned that you haven't had a lot of mentors all the time, but you've had people step in at important moments. And you alluded to your wife being a big part of your journey, motivating you and encouraging you behind the scenes. What should people take away from the role that mentors and those closest to you have played in your career journey? Because some people that I meet are very driven, highly motivated. They've had a plan for 10 years and they're just executing that plan. But it seems like you've been able to sort of have a direction, but have people help you on that plan along the way. And I feel like there's a lesson in there for people to hear that would be important. Yes. And I think even for people that have a great plan, it's good to get the wisdom of others because 
having one perspective is not as good as having the perspective of others who have wisdom and who care about you and are willing to maybe share hard truths with you. And so I think it's the best way of sanity testing what you want for yourself, even if it's an awesome plan in your view. And I've found out that even my best plans benefit from a good friend, somebody who cares for me, looking at it and saying, did you think about that? And so that's where my wife comes in. She's extremely cued into what works for me, what I'm about, my personality, and she believes in me and she has great wisdom. So I can benefit from all of that from her. And there are others, as I mentioned, who have stepped in at different points, different paths along my way who have contributed so much. So I'm a big advocate for having mentors, whether for a moment in time or consistently. And I would flip it to say, for those of us who have achieved something in life, whether it's in our work or whatever sphere of life, think about giving back by being a mentor yourself. You may think, why can I be? But yes, there's somebody who will benefit from something you have to offer. Really awesome advice. And I appreciate your wisdom. And I look forward to working together in the years ahead. But want to thank you for coming on today and sharing a little bit of your story with people. They can go on the website at bain.com slash careers if they want to learn more about any of our diversity affinity groups. But for now, thank you for joining today. And I really appreciate having you here. Thank you, Keith. It was a pleasure.